rather you live your life in vanity You traded all your hopes and dreams for insanity I'm Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Diocese of Austin, currently serving as chaplain to Cedar Break Retreat Center, and I'm joined by Deacon Ronnie Lastavica, the Pastoral Care Coordinator for Restorative Justice Ministry in the Diocese of Austin for the Gatesville region, where there are many prisons in which he serves and has faithfully for for many years now. Uh, We are continuing our series uh, in honor of the Eucharistic revival in the United States uh, on Eucharist in the prisons. And we have looked at Eucharist among our general population, Eucharist in restricted housing, Eucharist among those who share the name of Christian, and yet we are not in full communion as yet. And today, we want to address the reality of the corrections officers who are necessarily in our presence and we are in theirs as we go about bringing Eucharist to the faithful and having Eucharist be present to those who are either profess our Catholic faith or profess faith in Christ. And one of the first things that I, I wanted to uh, address, Deacon Ronnie, is the reality that, of course, uh, in any given population of human beings, you're going to have a percentage of them that are going to be in communion with the Catholic Church. So we have officers that are Roman Catholic. We have uh, officers that are Eastern Catholic. Um, and we have officers that are not uh, Catholic but are extraordinarily uh, vocal and proud of their Christian heritage. And we have officers that don't profess a particular religious uh, persuasion at all, or they don't see it as something that they feel like they want to share in the workplace, as others may may do so. On the, the Catholic officer's side, I just wanted to ask, you know, for maybe some uh, recollections that you have of the presence of those officers and how they're affected uh, by seeing us as, as their fellow travelers in, in the body of Christ, uh, bringing Eucharist to, to, the, to, the other, uh, to the inmates and even at times to them. Sure, thank you. I think that uh, most people don't have the presence of a Catholic priest in their workspace. And I think that it's alone... Uh, says volumes about their faith and the joy that that um, just having you present on the unit brings to them uh, without even saying a word and they, they just they just light up they can tell that everything about them their demeanor um, there's just a sense of joy <laughs> silently being celebrated uh, just in the presence and they may be they may be on the other side of the unit and see you and, and wave at you or you know just to know that you're around and uh, I think that's um a really um, good sign that um, that they know that the Lord is with them, and especially there. Uh, and and those are hard days and long days for most all of them now. And to know that you have uh, had the presence of, of the Lord in that workspace is a real blessing to them. Uh, I, I found that to be um, true not just with... Uh, the Catholic officers that we've encountered, but also just officer corps in general, for for the most part, they're very um, respectful, and um, through the years have grown to uh, not only um, go out of their way to, to assist us, but even confide in us too. Uh, that sense of um, being able to see and and know that um, again, not just 
the the great appreciation that they have of of, of a presence is is um, genuinely conveyed. And and you hear it when they say thank you, Father, or thank you, Deacon, for coming. It's always good to see you. And um, I, I can't tell you how much this means to us. So that's a that's a really profound experience to, to be able to know that they they see the the there's depth there. It's not just a, a um, and no one's asking to say that. that that's genuine coming from them. I know that a, a lot of us who are outside the prisons, and that's the the majority of us, you know, listening today, uh, hear occasionally uh, stories um, in different news media outlets about how few corrections officers are now available for those very difficult positions, and that for most of us, that's just data. Um, it's a story. We get it. Uh, we say to ourselves, well, yeah, I don't blame them. You know, I, I wouldn't want to work there either, et cetera, et cetera. But as we talk about Eucharist in the prisons and the unity that Eucharist is for us as the body of Christ, when we hear those stories, another kind of angle, if you will, could be that that means that the ones who are there the ones who are serving the long hours, the ones that are taking a job that a lot of us would not want to take, and who in many cases have made a vocation out of it. It's not just a paycheck for them. And they even have it be a vocation so much so that when their children grow up, some of them become corrections officers as well, that those are our fellow women and men Catholics that that news story is talking about. It's not going to break it down like that. It's just going to say corrections officers. But for those of us who are on the outside in this time of Eucharistic revival, the hope that I have as a priest of Jesus Christ to revive our sense of oneness with our brothers and sisters who do share the profession of faith with us in all circumstances of humanity, but more specific to our conversation today, in the circumstances of the criminal justice system in general and the incarceration uh, locations called prisons and, and more specifically, that we can be attuned to the reality that in each of these places that are being talked about, whether it's people who process chickens up in Amarillo or people who are out in the oil field, and in this case, corrections officers, there's going to be Catholics among them. And that makes me Eucharistically connected to them. And therefore, I would hope for myself and for others, thoughtful and compassionate and prayerful on their behalf, that a news story, if you will, allows me be, to be reminded there's folks I should probably be praying for. And if they're working a difficult job, whether it's paving asphalt in the summertime or whether it's walking a beat in a, in a, a prison environment, that I share a oneness in the body of Christ with them. And when I'm, when I'm in my Sunday moment, um, that I'm bringing this experience uh, of Eucharist for me personally together with, with those souls as well. And so just for all of us to, to realize that our sisters and brothers that wear the uniform, as corrections officers in these units and those who do who wear the uniform that are, are from other Christian communions, that these are folks that share uh, with us by degrees a unity in Jesus Christ and that we can be mindful of them and we can be prayerful for on their behalf. Uh, go a little bit beyond, gee, I'm glad I'm not in there and I'm thankful that, that, they, that they are. That's a beautiful sentiment, but I think Eucharist takes us deeper. Eucharist takes us deeper, and one of the things that I think we, you, we can both agree upon experiencing is that 
They don't compartmentalize that. It, 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 their faith isn't parked at the church on Sunday and they live a different life. When they come to work, they know it's the Lord that strengthens them. It's the Lord that's helping them get through this this long shift that they're on. And it's evident by their their encounter with us, even though they're just they're short moments that, you know, Father, would you please pray for me? I, and they didn't fill in the blank. Um, they're sharing with you their lies. And, uh, or um, there's a moment where you're encountering with, uh, with an inmate or something and, and they're, they stop and, and, and allow whatever it needs to be done to be, uh, they avail themselves to your care, whatever that, that may need to be at that moment. But it's, it's, it's just, again, it's a really comforting and affirming uh, thing to see and as they work and what would be a very difficult environment. Uh, it's a lot of pressure. Um, and then again, as you mentioned, they have families too. A lot of them leave there and go home, but that, but that sense of that it, and it really does take on a, a more of a, a, a vocation, if you will, then because they, again and again, they come back and, and they do it and they do it faithfully. And the ones that, uh, I will never forget a senior warden at the Hughes unit telling me, this has been years ago now, that uh, there are some men there that entered the system when he did as a, as a junior CO. So, you know, 20, 25 years down the road, they have actually a, a very unique bond that no one else will ever have. It's almost a, 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 a fraternal brotherhood. Um, and he was very sincere about that, saying, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I have my job to do, and and they're inmates, and I understand the difference. But you know, there's a closeness there for us, and the, and and my job is to take care of them. Well, and and as I think any of us would expect, what goes with their territory as corrections officers, junior, senior, and as they move on up the ranks, if they do into the management and administrative level as as junior and senior wardens. Uh, there's boundaries, and they're there by law, so that they, they there can't become familiarities that we've seen in recent years have gotten a, some correction officers into plenty big trouble, uh, assisting inmates in ways that they shouldn't. But in in the case of the ones that, like you just mentioned, and I don't know that a lot of us know this, and you really can and, and, until you you experience it in, in the prisons. But that's how we get uh, leadership in there. Is it's grown from the ground up, and um, I've always admired that uh, in terms of how the system works. Um, there are certainly a lot of things about the system that I would point at and say, gee, if I were king for a day, I would change this and that and the other. But that's one I, I find very uh, gratifying that a person has to work their way up through that system. And they get that opportunity, not unlike we who are diocesan priests, being in a same geographic area from the time that of our first year of ordination until our 30 or 40 or 50th year. And we get to see children that we baptized as infants marry and then have their own children and then become grandparents themselves. You get to walk that walk. And I don't know that a lot of us would realize that those same kinds of dynamics are there within the prison system as well as you have just mentioned. And part of where that fraternal bond comes from with appropriate boundaries in place, I would submit, is the presence of the Eucharist. The Eucharist that is is brought forth in our Catholic souls, and th- whether they're a, a corrections uh, employee or whether they're a, an inmate, that that's part of where that genuine fraternity 
shorn away from suspicion or am I being manipulated or anything like that, where you actually get to accept another human being as they are, because that's how God did it incarnately with the Lord himself. Yes. Yes. And it's, it's, um, and it's lived. I mean, it's, it's, again, it, it's visual. I mean, you can see it, but you know, inter- internally that that's, that's the, that's the air they breathe. You know, it doesn't just, um, it walks in the gate with them. It comes in uh, through the Sally port with them. And, and that's, that's what sustains them. And it's, um, it's a beautiful thing to see. It, it just, um, I noticed that from the inmate population, there's, there's an, um, it also, yields an enormous amount of respect, genuine respect uh, for that, that person and realizing that, yes, that he or she's got a job to do, but, but in the end, uh, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and that's, a, that's a powerful exchange to see. Knowing yeah. it's sustained by the Eucharist, the Eucharistic Lord sustains all of that and gives them, gives them grace, and they'll be the first to tell you that there's no way I could do this on my own. You know, if it wasn't for God's presence in my life, is this would be, you know, I'd be a be in a really bad place. And I would, uh, to, to, to frame that, as you just so beautifully put it, to, to see how that's a respect for the humanity of the individual, the corrections officer to the inmate and the inmate to the corrections officer because of the divinity of the individual. Yes, right. No, 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 no doubt. And I think we see that most profoundly in, in, in our care for pastoral care ministry, assisting chaplaincy, chaplains of the units, in, in as we have notifications of a loved one dying. Um, I, I just see a profound uh, respect for, the, for, the, for that person sitting in that chair and getting that call and hearing that mom's died or dad's entered eternal life or my brother's been shot or whatever may have happened. Uh, the officer corps is just very, very compassionate and caring and consoling. Um, and that's, that's again, a sign of their connectedness to, to the divine and realizing that there's something bigger here than us. And yes, we've got a job to do, but in that moment, we, we yield to all things that are holy and sacred. And I think for us who are volunteers, as we go in and we encounter corrections officers, um, and we can get um, ruffled, um, we can get uh, unsettled with uh, the work that they have to do relative to us, you know, to pat search you in, to call you out on stuff that you're bringing that you thought was OK. And yet now you're being told that it's not um, when they uh, come in, in in the the middle of mass and say it's count time and, and you have to, to yield a holy moment for them to take care of what they've got to take care of. None of that is meant to be disrespectful on their part. Like you said a little bit ago, they've got a job to do. And, and yet, they're coming into our presence in the midst of one of our most sacred moments. I have every confidence that whether they know it or not in that moment, they're being, they're being encountered by the Lord as we have called upon him and see him present in word, in sacrament, and in one another. And by the fact that they're just doing their job, we get an opportunity to share Eucharist with them. It may not be to the full, but it is in the very act of, of the, the sacred assembly. That's been a, what you just said is um, reminded me of what the Lord said to me once when that first happened, uh, calling count during the Eucharistic prayer. I think it was just right after you had elevated the precious blood. And, and he said, I'm bigger than this. It will be okay. 
and you and you do you realize it, he is bigger than this he's on, he's here he's right here with us it will be okay and so it, again that reminder that um yeah there's a lot of moving parts and there's your things that we 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 conform to but uh, none of it was done to be uh, disrespectful and the fact that um he's okay with it so we should be too well, and I, I, I'm happy to get to share that with our listeners who have not experienced prison in any form or fashion that may hear that and say, no, wait a minute, did I just hear that priest say that there's times when he's in the middle of mass and then the deacon said that even during elevation, they're interrupted and have to stop? Yes, that is what you just heard. And what we have to do, even though our initial sensibility to that would be to, again, be ruffled or feel like we're being impinged upon or, or whatever, being violated, you know, in our most sacred moment is to say, wait a minute, there's a principle of charity here. And when I signed on to be a volunteer, I said I would work with the people that are helping us to serve the flock that's in front of me. And if interruption in mass by a necessary count time and, and count is where they literally call out names and then count up the names that are supposed to be in that in that mass to make sure everybody's where they're supposed to be and they can know whether everybody's on the unit or somebody has attempted escape. That's what count is. It's a very important feature of their work that you have to yield and you do it joyfully because of the Eucharistic Lord. Because it's word and deed, and you're being given this beautiful opportunity to humble yourself as a priest, elevating Jesus in the body and blood, and seeing out of the corner of your eye a uniformed officer with a clipboard in their hand, and you know exactly what that means. It means you're going to have to transition from that moment not to the next order of worship, but to them doing their thing while you sit down and wait. And it really becomes a self-giving um, a uh, an abnegation, uh, you know, and, and like a Lenten, I'm, I'm having to fast from the next part of the Roman rite in order to let this person do what's going to allow me to continue the Roman rite. And um, I, I have found that over the years to be a, a very broken and outpoured moment. Yes, very broken, very broken. Um, but also underscores that the, the Bishop of Austin has the full care of all souls, not just the ones that are, are Catholic Christians. And being reminded as, as a priest and as a deacon, as a representative of the Bishop of Austin, we are entrusted with the care of all souls, including the officer corps and, and the staff administration. So we, we we don't get to pick and choose that. I mean, that's part of who we're there to serve. And um, that, too, is a reminder that they belong to God. They belong to the Lord no less than you do or I do. And I have an opportunity in that moment of interruption to either get grumpy and unsettled in my heart and actually express that or, uh, um, you know, God forbid that I do that while I'm holding the body and blood of Jesus in my hand, go on and quietly sit down, humble myself, humble the moment and, and yield to the needs of something beyond myself, which again, uh, obviously is precisely what the, the creator of the universe did by humbling himself to share in our humanity. And, and continues to do so as he lives in our humanity as well. And so when those officers get to see us cooperate with them uh, to be uh, uh, conforming to their needs, my hope is that they'll understand we're doing that as an act of our faith. We're doing that as an act of respect. We're doing that because we're trying to practice what we preach, including the ritual actions that proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Yes, right. 
The, um, the next thing I, I kind of wanted to uh, address is those moments that you may or may not have had uh, without betraying any, any kinds of, of confidentialities or, or anything of, of that nature, but where um, officers have pulled you aside and uh, maybe help our listeners understand um, what it is that uh, the officers uh, have as their own needs to be fed by the Lord Jesus, to be able to sustain the rigors of, of the life of being a corrections officer. So, you know, for instance, where they just ask you to pray for so-and-so or, or that kind of thing, or are there any examples you might be able to share without compromising anybody's, uh, you know, identity or any of that kind of thing? Sure. I, I can recall, um, I can recall officers coming in after they've searched us, uh, having some uh, exchange about, uh, you know, grew up Catholic. I was I served as an altar boy and, and had had experience, but I hadn't been in church in 30 years. And um, knowing that uh, you had time to hear that confession and, and that person now is in communion with the church, and um, that's a really grace moment, uh, the opportunity that, you know, Christ found him. You know, Christ, you know, just be able to, to roll in there and see that we don't know this soul, but, but the Lord does, and uh, you're able to take care of that for him. And then have him come to Mass and receive communion. Um, or the other times where um, we are just walking down the street, if you will, and they'll, they'll, they're escorting us somewhere, and, and off, out of the blue there comes a situation in their life that says, uh, could you help me with this? And you listen. And, and, and that's, that's, again, a very sacred moment. It's a moment in which you're privileged to part of their life, but, but also entrusted with, with the full care of that soul. The, the Lord has placed you there for a particular reason, and, and you have no idea what that's going to be when you walk in that morning, but it's going to happen. It happens, it happens weekly. And, um, again, that's Eucharistic. I mean, it's, we, we, we come as, uh, you know, you're, blessed by God. You come from God, you're blessed by God, but we're also broken and we're broken to be given away. And I think that's a moment of Eucharistic seeing that you're farted out and, and God has, you know, entrusted you with whatever it is that, that they may need. Or, um, and it's just simply a presence again, a, a symbol. That, and I, for us, as we walk through those units, the Lord physically is with us. I mean, we carry the Lord with us and, and the Eucharistic pick and He's involved in that counter um, every every time. I can recall a moment where I was in one of the restricted housing areas and a critical incident uh, transpired right before our very eyes. And so there was no place to go. It just happened and, and there was no uh, moving to some polite area and getting out of their way. You were going to be in their way because there just wasn't any. They had to attend to the incident at hand. It was a life and death situation. And the Lord inviting me to pray for all of those parties involved, not to try and back away and hide in a corner, but to be present where they could see me but not get away in their of their operational process and honor that operational process, not try and insert myself in, in some awkward or, or half-hearted way, but just to be present because the Lord allowed me to be present, and so did they, uh, to, to do another work, but now a new work has arisen in front of me that involves all these correction officers and, and ranking officers and ultimately a warden and, and, and a, a, you know, a senior warden because they all rush to, to the scene. But to see them do that in honor of life, in honor of the life of someone who had been convicted of a terrible crime, in honor uh, because it's their duty uh, to, to see to that and to be able to get to be there and to show them 
that, you know, I have a thoughtfulness for you. I understand that this is a stressed moment for you and, and that this is, uh, it, it may be something that, that calls forth your gifts as a, as a corrections officer, that you have to help this person and talk them through it or whatever it might be. And, and yet to, to be able to witness to them that you have a sense of care for them as they are in the job that they have. And, and I just, I keep going back to, this is what the Lord does in the Eucharist. He presents his divinity to us in, in this body and blood broken and poured, you know, that, that comes through his sharing in our humanity. And that in our being there in a moment like that, you get to mirror a Eucharistic presence to them. They, it's not spoken and it's not necessarily celebrated after the incident came to a close. But we all knew in that moment that we were one group of people, inmates and officers around a critical incident that had to do with life and death. And now that moment has come and gone. Life has been upheld. And we all just participated in a sacred act, even though for some it was an act of employment. For me, it was an act of ministry. But in the end, that divinity that was within all those parties there coalesced in our humanity. And we got to celebrate it almost like an other mass. Yes. And, and, And life was what came forth from it. Right. What a beautiful experience, and it's it you know it's it's it is um, as um, the um, in our segments, but with Renee in the past, we've talked about that that attentiveness, if you will, of being present uh, and realizing that it's 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 always there. We just have to realize that that, and again, Christ. Uh, there's no way you could have timed that or predicted that. He, he just had you where you needed to be. I was making rounds. You're making rounds, yeah. and it happened. And similarly, when we get approached, and and, uh, and and again, this is officer driven, driven, and I don't know that even for some of our our uh, incarcerated flock that that they understand that they they certainly have officers among them who are attentive to the sacred, who are attentive to the the action of the sacred, and it may be a different understanding than than in our Catholic Church, or they may be Catholic, and, and, you know, but they call us out and say, "There's a need over here." And in essence, what they're saying is, I know that you have intentionally come here to bear the sacred. And in my sense of sacred, I would want to ask you who do that because I'm an officer and, and it's not my my place nor am, in terms of boundaries of employment am I allowed, but you're allowed. And so my heart is moved as an officer to say to you, the God representative, over here is the need for the sacred to be present. Can you please go and avail yourself of that. And, and one of those is in the um, moments where someone has died yes. in a, a dormitory area or particularly in the cell block area. And there's a desire to reset the space mm-hmm. into so that the next inmate that rolls in there doesn't roll into a place potentially where evil was perpetrated um, or where there's an unsettled spirit, and they ask us to go and do what we can in our particularly Catholic way, which they may not even understand, but they know that it's an attempt at the holy, and to go and, and to bless. So yes. we'll, we'll do a blessing or we'll, we'll cast holy water on it. I know right. you've experienced that yourself. Yeah, it's um, it's a holy dispatch, I guess. is That's is a great way to, way to put it. You, you get the holy dispatch where to go, and, and um, there's a great comfort uh, regardless of, of the officer's tradition or, or in particularly if it's in close uh, custody or restrictive housing from the inmates that are in that vicinity to know that that um, that evil doesn't have the last say, 
that Jesus Christ, Son of God and Son of Mary, he's on the scene, he's alive. Uh, death does not have the last say, and this this is a moment to affirm that and to bless that and make that place a, a, um, a holy place, a place where the next soul can, can move into and, and reside and, and feel comfortable. Um, that gives them great great comfort, especially with they've, they've gone through a moment that has created a, a very unsettled situation, particularly if someone has died. They're, um, they're dealing with their own immor- uh, their own mortality themselves and, and realizing this, this could happen to any of us at any given moment. And it's a wonderful way to get us to transition into our next segment uh, of uh, looking at Eucharist in the service to the incarcerated and to the corrections officers of the presence of evil and how bearing the Eucharist into those darkest places of the human heart and human habitation, the Eucharist becomes our light, our hope, and our joy. And so we thank God for the opportunity to bring him there and for the invitation to share in that beautiful presentation of our Eucharistic Lord, the love of our God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you walk with me, brother, 